Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Cat, who lives in a city where she can get hockey tickets for 60 bucks. I know. Isn't it great? Well, it helps that the San Jose Sharks are very bad this year. <laughs> Even when the Leafs are bad, you are not getting tickets unless you have like $500. Yeah, you can get playoff tickets and pretty good ones too for 150 bucks. You come from an alien land that I don't recognize. <laughs> Sharks games are fun too. It's a good atmosphere and everything. Yeah, I've heard that they're fun to go to. Uh, that and Hurricanes games. California sports are way different from East Coast sports from what I'm able to gather. How so? They're way more into it on the East Coast. Are they really? They're like these hundred-year-old rivalries, and they mm. take them very seriously. And in general, because I think it's really cold and kind of gritty and gross on the East Coast, everybody's in a much more surly mood. So, <laughs> well, I do know that like Canadians really do get most of their aggression out in hockey. Like it's a, it is a known fact. Oh no, that makes total sense. That's why it's so popular, in Minnesota, because Minnesotans. Keep all that aggression pent up, and then when they can actually play hockey, they're like, I'm so mad at that person, but I can't actually uh, <laughs> express it, except when I check them real hard. Check them into the boards. That'll fix them. <laughs> it was a fun game, even though I couldn't see anything. Why couldn't you see anything? Well, I was sitting literally right behind the bench, so if I looked to the left, I had a really clear view of one of the nets, but if I looked to the right, it was basically... Uh, there are there are huge blind spots where I just could not see what was going on. So I had to basically watch the Jumbotron when they were on one side of the ice. Oh, you could just, well, at least you were in a position to hear them all swearing their heads off. <laughs> I couldn't really hear them. Uh, mostly they were sitting there kind of like watching the, the action. It was cool when they skated past after a goal and like fist bumped one another. And it was fun seeing reactions and that kind of thing. That does sound fun. Yeah, it was a good time. I'm glad I went because... Hockey is fun and soccer is fun. All the sports are fun. I hope there is a day when the U.S. realizes that hockey is quite fun. I think the U.S. generally realizes that hockey is quite fun. It's just a really regional sport. It's very, very regional. I want everyone to learn. The thing is, a lot, a large chunk of the U.S. does not have ponds where people can go skating. And then the other problem is that the U.S. has so many sports to watch that mm-hmm. and it's just too much competition um and one is going to inevitably get squeezed out and unfortunately hockey has traditionally been that one because it's so regional yeah and as you say the the cold weather does definitely help when you're you can like when i was a kid we would uh there was like a big sort of hydro field where we would play on and the puddles would freeze in the huge kind of rinks that we would just use as like makeshift uh skating rinks yeah it was the same for me too I'm always surprised by the number of people in California who've literally never been on ice or never ice skated before. That is crazy to think about because it was like part of our physical education when I was a kid. We had to go to the rink and skate like every week. Yeah. Anyway, this is not the hockey podcast. This is the <laughs> RPG podcast of US Gamer. And this week is a mailbag week. Normally we do this at the end of the month, but there was all this momentous stuff going on. Last week was a packed episode, Nadia. It was. It was a very long packed episode. A lot was going on. I was having a good time with it, though. We got to talk a lot about the PlayStation 2, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Baldur's Gate 3. So much to cover, so you should go check that episode out. And It just feels like Final Fantasy VII Remake buzz is in full swing with less than a month to go before it's released. Yeah, a lot of the news out there has to do with the uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, remake and uh, mostly the demo, because that came out, and people have opinions about it, let's say. 
Yes, they do, in fact, have opinions. But first, Axe of the Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. I've been getting a lot of really nice notes from people saying that they absolutely love the show. So here's the thing. If you love the show, I have a suggestion for you. Go and express that on iTunes by leaving us a review. We really appreciate it. It shows that uh, it makes our podcast more visible and it lets people bask in the grace of the blood god we also in the grace (laughs) we're also on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia's at nadia oxford and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out every single wednesday nadia what is the topic of this week's newsletter uh, I wrote about basically my opinions on the Final Fantasy VII demo because I got to play it myself and uh, had a good time with it generally. I find it a little bit chaotic. And I do know, of course, there was a whole controversy with a, a certain games journalist who said I he found the, the demo a little bit too confusing, a little bit too uh, hard to follow, uh, especially with the, the Scorpion boss at the end of it all. And I will say one problem I had is... Um, I was having a hard time with the targets on the enemy, seeing them. And that's because it might be because I'm like slightly like blue, yellow colorblind. So I find that they weren't very clear. But uh, otherwise, I don't know. I managed to make order out of the chaos and I, I had a good time with it. Oh, that's good. Uh, lots of people were talking about it. People are already speed running that scorpion boss. Yeah, no hits too. That's, <laughs> that's impressive because I think the scorpion boss is actually a pretty difficult boss because you only get two characters and you don't have any gfs and it kind of demands that you understand the battle system it does and i will say one of my one of my faults was that i was not really uh dodging and blocking as much as i should have been not just dodging and blocking but also understanding how to use the commands uh, for the other characters, that was something that wasn't standing out and also understanding the the concept of the pressure system yeah, that takes a little bit of uh, getting used to. And understanding the difference between Cloud's stances. So there's the basic normal attacks, but then he can go into the much slower one where he's doing tons of sword swipes and, that, and whatnot. Yeah, the, I think it's called Punisher Mode. Yes, the Punisher Mode is really good uh, for racking up damage really, really quickly. So there is a flow and a timing to the combat that I think is pretty cool. There is, and I look forward to really refining it. As you say, the Scorpion boss was kind of a trial-by-fire instance. Yes, I think so. Um, there are a lot of different bosses in all kinds of video games that are kind of the the test boss, as it were. I think that in uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen, for example, uh, there is a boss that you will eventually get to where you basically cannot do any damage unless you understand the con- a similar concept of raising uh, the gauge that will send it into break mode and allow you to actually hurt it. Yeah, uh, same thing also with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. You go up against a boss who really teaches you how to use the Monado to attack uh, mechanical enemies. And if you don't learn that, you're going to die. Uh, Final Fantasy, in general, has been pretty good about throwing you into the fire right at the start. Like, Final Fantasy IV has that that Mist Dragon boss that if you hit it at the wrong time, it'll counterattack really, really badly. Same with Final Fantasy VI. The first boss will counterattack and kill you. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, uh, the Scorpion boss could, in the original game, counterattack and destroy you. So uh, basically the boss Scorpion for the remake is just following tradition. Okay, so if you want to get the newsletter in your mailbox every single Wednesday, 
go and subscribe on the site. You can find a link on the starting screen, which goes up on Monday, or in the show notes. As for stuff that's happened this week, it's been pretty much all Final Fantasy VII Remake all the time, <laughs> Nadia. Yes, it really has. It's been a very busy week in that regard. Uh, some headlines. You can hear the original victory theme in Final Fantasy VII Remake because Barrett is whistling it. <laughs> yeah, apparently, because you can't really hear the original theme in the demo. What happens is you get into battles and the music kind of quickens and then you get out of battles and the music goes back to the, the calm sort of background tune. So you don't get the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da when you win a battle. So I guess they kind of supplemented that by having Barrett whistle it <laughs> in the dark. It's like Prompto uh, humming it as well. Yeah, and Prompto actually made up a little song for the Chocobo theme as well. It was really cute. Uh, Nier Automata devs will celebrate the series' 10th anniversary somehow. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I love the Nier team. They're just like very... Not really nihilistic, but they're very like very familiar with the with the pain of life. <laughs> so they're just like, yeah, we'll celebrate it somehow. Although I think they had a concert that was canceled because of the coronavirus. And finally, the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX review is up by our writer Joel Franey, who may be the world's biggest Pokemon Mystery Dungeon fan. He's up there. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't played it myself, but he he adored it. Yeah, he is. He says that that is his favorite Pokemon game, Nadia. No, oh, it's funny when you talk to people and you find out what their first Pokemon game was. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he enjoyed Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX as well, though, of course, playing it without the benefit of nostalgia is a little bit different than that. I can say that I personally have never really been able to get into the Mystery Dungeon games, Nadia, mm -hmm. mostly because... I I guess I just don't like roguelikes very much. I haven't tried one, and there's a demo. I should really download and give it a try. If I like it, who knows? I might like it and, and just download the full thing. Um, but I've always been a little bit curious about it. I think the okay, when I say I don't like roguelikes, I like the concepts of roguelikes. <laughs> I love Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. That game, that game rules. I think the thing with Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, it's a little more uh, Sheer and the Wander-esque, but simple. So right. it doesn't have the heart. It's not hard like a real roguelike because permanent death is not really a thing in that game. No, it wouldn't be. But so it's more of a kind of a grind as you go level by level and just try and, I guess, get through the dungeon. So, eh. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that because, of course, the uh, trademark of most roguelikes is they're kind of unforgiving a lot of the time. And Pokemon is not a series I, I, I kind of associate with unforgiving. When I, I think just of, <laughs> when I think of roguelikes, I think of a game like NetHack or Angband. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, you're not going to lose everything to a cockatrice that like beamed you into stone or something. Or put on shoes that make you float and then you're unable to get to food. Lol. Yeah. <laughs> NetHack is so savage. It it's is so quite bad. savage. Yes. So, yeah, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, but I will say that the new graphics on the Nintendo Switch are quite nice. They are pretty. I do like the watercolor style, the little storybook style they have going on. And the story is really, I mean, it's dumb, but it's also <laughs> kind of fun. I mean, you have, like, Gengar and his gang of meanies. No, oh, of course, they're in the meanies, even though Gengar's, like, unfairly stereotyped. Poor oh. Gengar. Oh, yeah, he's a trickster. He's a trickster god. That's true. I love Gengar. Have you ever read Gengar's Pokedex entries? Yeah, it's terrifying. 
Gengar has always been one of my favorites going back to Red and Blue. And their Pokemon Dex entries are consistently messed up. Like, yeah. it is said to emerge from darkness to steal the lives of those who become lost in mountains. What? <laughs> there are a lot of Pokemon that steal the souls of lost people and lost children in particular. Ultra Moon, even your home is unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Don't look under your bed, kids. It apparently wishes for a traveling companion, since it was Aww. once human itself. What? It well, tries to create one by taking the lives of other humans. Oh, it's lonely. <laughs> Should you feel yourself attacked by a sudden chill, it is evidence of an approaching Gengar. There is no escaping it. Give up. <laughs> Give up and become a Gengar yourself and wander the mountains forever. <laughs> That's crazy. What the heck? Why would you want this thing on your team? I have a, a good Gengar with Focus Punch on in Go, which is my bis, my Blissey Slayer. It's named as Pestilence. Oh, Pestilence! It does its job well. Okay, Nadia, it is time for the mailbag. And this week we're going to start out with a simple question. This one is from How Tran. Why do you think most RPG protagonists use swords? Because they're cool. Swords are just the... There's something really powerful about holding a sword. Even when you go to a flea market and you hold one of those cheesy-ass broken swords... You're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be the next hero of, of Hyrule, even though you're like 40 years old and your legs don't work properly. You just feel like so so fun and, and strong. And you're it kind of take goes back to when you're a kid and you're just sword fighting with like sticks. I think everyone likes swords. They make everyone look cool. Anime makes them cooler. Everyone wants to be Trunks from Dragon Ball Z. I mean, there are characters with swords um, in Xenogears, but the main character does Kung Fu. Sure. <laughs> but you're right. When I think about it, Heroes that don't have swords are quite unusual. Um, Suikoden 2, the character had the Tonfas, and that was interesting to me because I had never seen that before in a character. In Xenogears, you also had Billy, who had a handgun and shotguns and just generally looked cool. I I preferred Billy. Yeah, back in the day, there were many, many GeoCity shrines to Billy. He was very (laughs) cute. He had a lot of fans. I think swords are actually a little bit boring. I prefer bows. I like bows a lot. Um, I'm not usually a melee fighter, but I do enjoy a good bow. I think bows in general just look more heroic. Yeah, if you're kind of standing there looking badass holding a bow that's the size of you, I understand like why that's appealing. I you know There was a big run of women in fiction who are all using bows, and I was okay with that. <laughs> That's right. That was because I think that started because of Hunger Games. Uh, Katniss uses a bow. Uh, there are a few other instances that yeah. don't come to mind right away. But of course, Katniss was the iconic example, I feel. Everybody yeah. wanted to use a bow. I bet archery lessons saw a giant rise. They must have seen Games. a huge rise. I actually was I, I was actually pretty good at archery. We did it in gym class and I dabbled in it a little bit. I was not bad. I specific okay here's a question what kind of sword do you like to see on an RPG protagonist do you like kind of sword and board do you like a katana do you like one of those big buster swords I am definitely a katana person um when I was growing up one of my my favorite ninja turtles was probably Leonardo because he had the katanas I know they're not officially katanas or something else but like the, the same idea applies I like the long sort of thin swords that 
can be used to, uh, like two-handedly and you have to like, you know, use special stances for them. I like the swords in uh, Witcher 3 where mm-hmm. they're regular sized, but Geralt will either go with a regular steel sword for humans or silver sword for monsters. And they both look very cool. <laughs> That can, like, um, I was trying to play for, uh, Witcher 3 when I had a little bit of time, and that was confusing the heck out of me, like, using a, like, is this, an, is this a human enemy, or is this a, is this a monster? What am I supposed to use? Well, he automatically draws based on which one it is, so you don't really have oh. to worry about it. Okay, I was just switching like an idiot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he'll draw steel for humans and silver for monsters. Because that is pretty cool that he has a separate sword for monsters, and silver, of course, is the arcane mythological monster slayer. And the trick with monsters in Witcher 3, and one of the reasons I like the Witcher 3, is that every monster has its own weakness and you have to brew different potions and use different spells to be able to strategize properly and defeat it. You can't just hack away at them necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't having too much of a problem when I started, but that was just like the beginning of the game. So, I like it when a character is a magic user who also has a sword. <laughs> I like that, and I like that you can do that in Skyrim as well. I like a flaming sword. Flaming swords are pretty fun. Flaming swords rule. <laughs> but um, thinking about it, there was that introduction in Final Fantasy VIII where, what's his name? Who's the who's the jerk kid who's Draco Malfoy? Oh, uh, Cypher. 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 He was a, a, I liked that he like had the sword, but he kind of threw some magic at Squall to like distract him while he sliced his eye off. I mean, in Skyrim, the generic version is using a bow for to snipe for stealth but then you also being able to use magic in one hand and a weapon in the other yeah a lot of people went for the magic in one hand uh sword in the other build i stuck to archery almost exclusively i liked in fire emblem three houses oh yeah i like that byleth has a big old flaming sword yeah and uh, or is they it get like it... more not flaming more like red like glowing yeah it's like a kind of a legendary sword and you get it quite early in the game too as i recall it looks cool i really like it, it. Does. i like that and one Turns into a whip, too. Dark Souls has some iconic weapons. Yeah. Uh, the Zweihander is an awesome-looking sword in that game. Isn't it the one that's overpowered? Uh, depends on the game. Um, mm-hmm. Also, it takes a lot of practice to use, so s- I feel like skilled people can really abuse Zweihander, but more less, less experienced, less skilled people might struggle with it a little bit because it is pretty big and unwieldy. And um, you also, of course, have the iconic Master Sword. I always like the Master Sword because it's very, very simple, but very iconic. The thing with a, a good sword is the bigger, the better, honestly. Though not not like one of those big, <laughs> stupid swords like, like in Monster Hunter. Or oh, okay. Sephiroth looks cool. It does look really cool. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's big, but it's really cool. But Monster Hunter's uh, swords are kind of humongous. And the hilt needs to be cool as well. Yeah, you do need a, a cool hilt. You don't, your cool blade doesn't mean anything because it's going to be buried in the monster half the time. you got to have a cool hilt. And I like a really detailed sword. I don't like cartoony swords. And when I say cartoony, I mean like the ones that don't look realistic at all. And I don't mean like cloud sword. I mean like, uh, you know, super deformed cartoon characters. Or what about the Bonato by Fisher-Price? Yeah, pretty much. I don't like the ones that look like they were made that are, are basically plastic. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge fan of the Monado, never have been. I do like the fact that uh, in that game, uh, Dunban made his own sort of monster slaying, uh, not monster, mechanical slaying sword with like the part of a Mechanus that he found. And that was really cool. So he had like a huge ass katana that was a lot cooler than the Monado, in my opinion. 
Interestingly, in Valkyrie profile, you can choose between a sword or a bow for Lenneth. Oh, yeah. Like, do you, are you stuck with a, a choice once you make it? Nope. You can switch between them. I often went with a bow because I liked that if you had all three attacks with a bow, you can knock them into the air, which would make them more vulnerable to the rest of the party's attacks. And you could juggle them and have an easier time raising the meter that you need to do the super attack with. Yeah, juggling any any weapon that lets you juggle an enemy is, is good by me. Okay, Christopher says, well, Christopher has an extremely long letter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's settle in. Let's and they see. talk about playing various games like Skyrim and Fallout and Diablo and Pokemon. And then uh, finding that Pillars of Eternity had a challenging <laughs> learning curve. They tried... Uh, there are notice that Planescape Torment had a very high spot on our top 25 RPG list, which you should go check out. But they feel a little, what's the word, nervous about uh, loading it up. He said, I feel basically intimidated to load it up and fail six times within the hour or two of free time I have when I could just chill with some Skyrim or Zelda and feel a bit more mm-hmm. successful. I feel that. Um, and so the crux of the question is... <laughs> I think it would be interesting and valuable to come up with a list of RPG commandments that apply widely to the genre and could help inexperienced but widely highly interested players like me stick to the basics when feeling overwhelmed by outdated or complicated systems and could therefore help them find more enjoyment in the wide variety of RPGs available instead of returning to the popular choices. Could you generalize and describe some tried and true practices that players should be using for success in RPG games? Okay, Nadia, in response to this, I drew up some commandments, as it were. Blood God commandments. <laughs> All right. The commandments of the blood god. Yes. So, are you ready? Yes. Commandment number one. Talk to everybody multiple times and check every drawer. Yes, that is uh, the god. That's like from the ancient days of RPGs. Like we're talking about Dragon Quest and the original Final Fantasy. But yes, even though everyone thinks you're a jerk for doing it and everyone makes like jokes about it, Barge into people's houses and take all their shit because you'll put it to good use and they won't. It'll just stay there in their drawer while they sit at the table and stare blankly at nothing. But you're you're out there saving the world, so you have a right. We are so spoiled by that little waypoint pointer saying, go here and next. Mm-hmm. We really are. And I admit I am very bad about that, too. But back in the day, we did not have that. And you'd be like, well, what do I do next? I mean, I guess there are some people I haven't talked to yet. <laughs> Yeah, and in many cases, uh, you had to talk to uh, that one character sitting in like some dark corner of the town and talk to them, usually twice. And when they said something different, you usually knew, okay, this clicks. I got something to happen outside. <laughs> and usually the townsfolk would give you hints. Oh, there's a, there's a mysterious stranger in town sitting in the dark corner. Who could they be? Yeah, I don't recognize him. Welcome to Corneria. <laughs> There's five people who live in this town. We're all terribly inbred. Who's the stranger? <laughs> Commandment number two. If there's an area of effect attack, that's usually a good thing to go for. <laughs> also strong yeah. healing and especially party healing. Yeah, that's what I always look for first is what's the best healing spell that I can possibly get? I abuse healing like crazy. Uh, you can always tell the RPG that's maybe the hardest. There are the ones that are very, very, very generous with healing. And there are the ones Mm -hmm. that are very, very, very stingy with healing. I think there comes a point where Dragon Quest XI becomes pretty generous with healing, but early on I feel like it's fairly stingy. Yeah, Dragon Quest is 
I always felt like the Final Fantasy games generally were very, very generous about healing. Healing items, you can buy them anywhere you want. Uh, Dragon Quest is much more stingy because uh, you can't spread out heal spells. You have to have those certain heal spells that heal everybody. Uh, MP replenishing items are not easy to come by. Um, I'm playing right now Persona 5 Royal, uh, and I'm reminded how that game is quite stingy, at least at first, with uh, SP recharging items. And since Persona is such a major part of the battle system, and you use SP every time you summon one, you really do have to be careful about where you go and what you do, and you have to stop and think before you attack a lot of the time. And uh, I guess it depends what you want out of your experience, but yes, like you, I am generally very gung-ho on healing, especially uh, a party healer, someone who can heal everything at once. And there are people out there who play who play Final Fantasy 1 and don't take a white mage or even a red mage, and it's like, what are you doing and why are you doing this to yourself and me? Some people just want to show off. Also, healing's boring. It's not a sexy thing, but I find that when I get my first party healer or my first really strong healing spell, I feel far more confident going for it. Yeah, me too. I, I definitely feel like, okay, I can finally start the game. Uh, not the least because before that, maybe you're using potions or something and you feel kind of stressed out about that. <laughs> this cost me 20 gil, and yes, I have 50,000 gil right now, but, you know, am, am I being frugal enough? As for a good area of effect attack, there's just nothing better than seeing a pack of enemies coming in and then just watching them burst into flame. Yeah, I, I am a big fan of the area effect attacks. Um, single single target attacks are boring. Go with area of effect. <laughs> Unless they're really strong. If they're really strong, they're good for bosses. Uh, commandment three. Always start with a tank and a healer as the foundation of your party. I mean, okay, to be clear, you can go out and find uh, different party formations and get clever, but if you're just starting out... Maybe mm-hmm. a tank and a healer is a good start. <laughs> look I for think the so. look for the uh, the guy or the girl in the big armor with the big shield. Yeah, they'll take a hit for you. Fire Emblem, I found the older games was always good about giving you that one person, usually cavalry member who, on a horse, who you couldn't nobody could touch, and he could just mow everything down with one with one hit. You don't want to and abuse that character though, because they soak up XP that could be used exactly. for everybody else. They're there for it to be like a crutch, but they're not there to be like permanent because they will just suck up XP and leave everyone just starving to death. So once you got a tank and a healer, you should probably add a black magic user as they're usually pretty good for DPS. And that would be damage per second. And then you can also add in a rogue or an archer or another fighter. But so at that point, you're starting to think about damage combinations and party mm-hmm. synergy and that kind of thing. But tank and a healer, you want the healer. <laughs> You definitely want the healer and the tank. Tanks can usually attack as well as like just soak up a lot of damage. So they're they're quite versatile. In Dragon Age Inquisition, my party consisted of Morgan, I believe it was, the black magic user. I used the dog. Yeah, the dog's right. The Mubari Warhound is actually a surprisingly great tank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used um, Alistair as the more traditional sword and board user who can do kind of mixed damage. And then I had a straight-up healer in my party as well uh, to do party healing. So Morgan and um, Alistair doing all the damage, uh, the Mubari Warhound absorbing all the damage, and uh, the healer healing. Yeah, so you had a... It sounds like that's a really well-balanced party. That's why I like a six-person party, 
because then you can get really interesting with you can like start having really interesting combinations like you can decide do I how many tanks do I want how many healers do I want yeah yeah do I, I want to go I super like, heavy on dps or do I want to go much more defensive I do like parties that give you six characters it really makes you feel like you're on a, a big quest a big journey um Etrian Odyssey, of course, let you do that. And uh, Suikoden was the first series that let me do that for like for the first time. And I I found it really, really cool, especially since Suikoden 1 and 2 lets you kind of uh, have synergy between the characters and they can do special attacks if they're, if they're linked. In competitive Pokemon, they would have things that you would call a defensive core. A Pokemon that synergize extremely well together and can often cover both defense and special defense. And so anytime they brought out a heavy hitter or something like that, you could reliably switch over to them and be able to absorb an attack. Uh, case in point would be uh, the archetypal example going way back to Ruby and Sapphire was Skarmory plus Blissey. Skarmory. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be killer. Because they probably nerfed it for today, Blissey though. would absorb all of the special attacks, and Skarmory would absorb all of the physical attacks. And it was a pain in the butt to bring down, so people had to make... <laughs> Mixed attackers, like, I think, Tyranitar with, like, Thunderbolt to, to be able to take it down. Wow. Yeah. That sounds really cool. It was annoying. Another one that uh, comes to mind, uh, there's a Pokemon called Ferrothorn, which is, like, steel and grass. Plant. Yeah, I just caught one in Pokemon Go. And you could pair that one up with this big jellyfish blob, which was really annoying. <laughs> Jellyfish and spike plant. I love Pokemon. Or there was um, Celebi and Heatran because uh, Celebi would absorb all of the fighting attacks that would threaten Heatran and also absorb all of the ground attacks that would threaten Heatran. And Heatran would absorb the fire attacks intended for Celebi. Wow. The, I, the chemistry for Pokemon battles is, is just insane. Okay. Point number four. Do the side quests. Oh my god, do yes. the side quests. They're right there. That's so important. And like, and learn to distinguish between I... the ones that are just like, turn in 10 things, and the ones that actually obviously have a story to them. And uh, not just a story, but also loot. Their side quests are so good, especially in the beginning of a game, because that is a good way to get pretty strong weapons and armor, usually for your character. Uh, not to mention the experience, the money... They're usually there to help you beef up early in the game and beyond. And also, you can see little cues that kind of suggest that it's going to be a important story mission. Uh, this isn't an RPG, but in Death Stranding, there's a guy who wants you to des- deliver a pizza. <laughs> Maybe deliver that pizza. Is the, is the pizza very valuable? It is a valuable pizza. Well, pizza is always valuable. And... Or, but, like, if it's going, a mysterious stranger has a special mission for you. Do the mission. Yes. It's mysterious strangers have the best missions. You may find that you get a really piece of swell loot that will help you through the rest of the game. Number five, make sure your party is fully equipped and ready if you see a big old bridge or a suspiciously placed save point. Yes. Um, this is another one that goes way back to the very beginnings of RPGs. Uh, Dragon Quest, the original Dragon Warrior, if you look at the instruction booklet, it'll warn you how if you cross a bridge, danger will follow. That is usually how you, that, how you would get from, say, fighting slimes on one continent to fighting uh, scorpions and skeletons on the next continent. And if you weren't ready for them, of course, they're going to wipe you out. And even today, uh, that applies. Like, I was playing Final Fantasy XIV, 
and I was in the Black Shroud, and I noticed that um, I was in an area with, like, level 15 monsters, and over a bridge was, like, level 30 monsters, and there was a guy there in front of the bridge telling me, hey, you don't look strong enough to take these, these things on, so you'd go at your own peril. So it still very much applies today. Point number six, ensure your party is equally leveled. Don't forget the people in the airship. I think it's really easy to get a character who's relatively strong early and just rely on them extremely heavily and then accidentally leave the rest of your party underleveled. That is a huge, huge danger in Final Fantasy VI. Don't fall for it because (laughs) your entire party does have important value in Final Fantasy VI. used to be a thing in Pokemon where you would have like one Pokemon who was like level 50 and the rest were level 10. Because he never switched them out and then like experience share became a thing. Yeah, experience share became a thing and it wasn't a problem anymore. But it still can happen in other cases. Uh, in Dragon Quest Eleven, I think it's easy to over-level one character while kind of leaving another characters not as strong. Yeah, I think characters not in your party still gain experience. One of the worst experiences I ever had with an RPG was Final Fantasy VI. Um, I was kind of deciding, I decided, okay, I'm going to level up my loser party because I had a bunch of nobodies who I kept in the airship. And I don't know if you've ever been to the in the quest with Cyan's dream in Doma. Well, basically, it's like I was like, okay, I'm going to go heal. And I went to Doma to heal because it's free. And Cyan was in my party. I'm, I'm sorry. He was part of the loser club. And um, that started a whole chain of events about uh, about Cyan's past and, you know, him trying to get over the guilt of his, his wife and his son dying. And you're trapped in his dream and you got to play out all these things and take on one of the hardest bosses of the game. And I'm like, that's great, but I can't get out of here. All my characters are severely underleveled, which is one problem. Uh, and they don't have good materia, which is another problem because they're all, all the good materia is back on the airship and you can't change it out. So, yeah, that was really, really terrible. And I was stuck in that dream for quite a while because I could not figure out how to beat the boss who had some stupid gimmick to him. And there was no internet that I could turn to for help. And no one I really knew was playing the game. And I don't know. I didn't even know about the, the Vanish X-Zone trick back in, that, in the day. So I, I was screwed so hard. And that took me a long time to get out of. Level up your party, kids. Level up your party, please. Commandment 7. Figure out the stats to min-max. Wisdom or magic for magic users. Defense for tanks. Strength or dexterity for DPS. Don't spread it out. Dump the points into the relevant stat. Min-max. I admit, I am still very bad about dumping points into stats that don't need it because I, I crave balance in my life. And I see those those low numbers and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, there's no freaking way my tank is going to do anything with intelligence. But I just feel like I got to give it you know, pump it up a bit. Yeah, you want your character, Yeah, if they have a strength, emphasize that strength. Don't try to pump up a weakness. Yeah, but first make sure it's the right strength because there have been times where I, where I assumed, okay, I have an archer, so I'm going to, you know, up dexterity and then it turned out to not be the case. It turned out to be something completely different. Yeah, so you just need to figure out which stat um, applies to what and is the best stat for that particular character. And finally, and if all else fails, read U.S. Gamers' Guides. Hey! (laughs) Promotion, thou shalt read our stuff. Jake Green and Joel uh, Franey do a great job on our guides. You should go check them out, especially with Animal Crossing come out. Hint, hint, hint. Hint, hint. hint. Yeah, they work very hard on our guides. They keep the lights on. Do you think if I mention it on this podcast, it'll improve our ranking on Google? Oh, God, I hope so. (laughs) Is Is Google advanced enough? 
Mm, at this rate, I'm not sure. Uh, uncomfortably, I want to say maybe. Uh, and also, if you're like afraid of Planescape Torment or a game like that, you know, uh, just go check out a YouTube Let's Play or something. Or usually you can find people giving optimal builds uh, for various party members. I mean, there are basic tips all over the internet uh, that will kind of help you get started. I mean, Google is a very valuable resource. There's Google. Um, I find when I have a question about Final Fantasy XIV, I ask Twitter and I have, I have the answer in seconds. Uh, Reddits are usually very good for that kind of stuff. I'm constantly amazed at the depth and the breadth of uh, information. And my favorite is finding a giant Reddit post that basically breaks down, for example, a really OP build uh, for a particular character. And I'm like, ah, yes, here we yeah. go. <laughs> Put that all in my veins. Yes, because there are people who are way smarter than me about building really good characters. It's really interesting, like, you know, when people argue against something like, say, uh, basic income, they say, oh, people aren't going to do anything if they're not getting paid for it. People are only motivated by money. And that's so not the case. Like, people are motivated by what interests them. And there are a lot of people out there who are very, very interested in how RPG characters are built. And they will, they will break it down for you very, very happily. And it's also interesting how every RPG can be pretty different. I mean, there are some RPGs where status effects are basically useless. <laughs> there are a lot of RPGs where status effects are basically useless. I and there are some RPGs where you definitely want status effects or else you're going to really struggle against bosses and tougher enemies. Yeah, Persona is a good example. Oh, Pokemon, honestly. Like, uh, freezing, paral paralysis, uh, burning, those are all very strong uh, status effects to inflict on another op opponent. Yeah, um, I do agree with that. Status effects in Pokemon can definitely turn the tide of a battle very easily. Next question. This one's from Steven Thief, and it's less a question and more of an observation. So remember a few weeks ago, we talked about our favorite RPG tropes, Nadia? Mm -hmm. Yes. Here's one that I think this was my favorite user submitted one. Airships. Mm. They love airships and have ever since I first joined Setzer aboard the Blackjack in Final Fantasy VI. Rigid zeppelins, sailing ships held up by helicopter blades, battleships flown via magical fuel sources, crazy designs that are basically spaceships in atmosphere. It doesn't matter. I love airships. I love the point in any JRPG when they show up, which is probably why I like Final Fantasy games so much, especially 6, 9, and 12. My failure to have played Skies of Arcadia continues to haunt me even now. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Skies of Arcadia has a pretty bo uh, boss uh, airship, so that, that makes it maybe one of the best airships, I think. Yeah, um, I, uh, too, am a big fan of the Blackjack. I like the music in it. I like the whole... It, it's very much to, attuned to, to Setzer's, like, tastes. I think it's one of the first airships I've ever seen that does that. Like, Final Fantasy IV, it's funny. By the time you're done that game, there are so many airships just scattered everywhere on the world map because every time there's a new problem, they just make a new airship for it. Uh, the exception being the Lunar Whale, which is actually extremely cool. You get that at the end of the game, and you can go inside of it, and it has, like, recharge pods and because it's from the future and all that. It has, like, the fat chocobo that you can store your items if you need to. I thought that was really cool. But, yeah, um, when it comes to airships... I'm really more of the kind of person who likes to fly on the back of some mythical animal. So a dragon? Dragons. Dragon Quest always had the phoenix, uh, Lamia. Dragon Quest Six got really crazy and you were like flying on beds and stuff like that. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. I, I always liked just like, I think like one of the Zelda games had a huge flying whale, Leviathan. 
uh, yeah, I'm I'm really more into the the flying on a unicorn sort of thing. Singing never ending story. <laughs> I love never ending story so much. I remember how disappointed I was in Final Fantasy X when I got onto an airship for the first time and discovered you didn't actually fly it around. You just picked a destination from your menu. Yeah, that that's crap. That's boo. Especially since nine, as I recall, had a really cool airship. That's when start. That's when Final Fantasy stopped being good at that exact moment. <laughs> right then and there, everything crashed to the surface. We lost the magic of the overworld, and we lost the extreme excitement of everything opening up for the first time when we got our airship. Yeah, good old Mode 7. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me, one of my favorite uh, methods of flight ever is the Mana Beast from uh, Secret of Mana. Why is that? Uh, it just looks really cool for a Super Nintendo game, and it's a very cute little beast. To ha- it's like, you know, kind of all white and has four wings. They call it a dragon, but it's really kind of a, a an offshoot of the Mana Beast. Do you think the Normandy from Mass Effect is an airship? That That's count? a spaceship, right? Yeah. But, I mean, it's basically um, the same as an airship. I was going to say, like, I don't see why not. It's a spaceship, but it's still in the air or atmosphere or that lock can there. can fly through the atmosphere. can <laughs> confirm. I think the fun of an airship, aside from it opening up the entire map uh, for you to be able to fly around and discover secret locations, which is always very exciting, is this the fun of exploring the inside of it? Yes, definitely. I I do like airships that give me like a good, like a fun little, you know, inside like with stuff you can do. And it, it's a great way to have your characters get a little more personality because you're like, oh, what are my characters up to? Yeah. Um, one actually scene that a lot of people don't know exists in Final Fantasy VI is Sid from that version of the game. He doesn't really work on airships. He's a he's a magic researcher. But there is a scene where you can find him in the blackjack arguing with Setzer and telling Setzer what he should do with his airship to make it like faster and cooler. And, and Setzer's telling him to go, to go like you know take a leap. It's just really cute because uh, against Sid in this version of the game is not an airship engineer. He's but he's an engineer in many many other versions of Final Fantasy. So that was a, a nice little call out, and, and the fact that Setzer just told him to go away. Aki asks. As a kid, I was much better at willful suspension of disbelief and could really get lost in games. I remember playing games for hours, cooped up inside on a sunny summer day, playing FF7 for the ninth time. But as I've gotten older, I've developed a habit of buying games, putting in 10 hours, and then never touching them again. I want to get better about it and actually finish games. I refuse to believe that games are getting worse. And even at that, new games only make up like 20% of what I play. So I just want to know, do you feel guilt dropping a game? How do you get through long games without losing your interest in them? I want to be better about finishing games. I know to some extent it's a matter of taste, but I refuse to believe that I don't like 90% of the games I play enough to finish them. Nadia, do you finish every game you play? Hell no. (laughs) God, no. Uh, I totally understand the sense of guilt, but do remember we live in a very, very different time from when we were kids and a game was a, getting a game was a real event. You had to like look at the magazine what you wanted. You had to bug your parents to go drive you. You had to like, you know, get your cartridge, bring it home. Nowadays, it's so easy to, to go onto like the Nintendo shop and say, oh, this game looks kind of cool. It's $5. I'm going to download it. And boom, that's one more game. You're probably not going to finish anytime soon, but maybe you'll play it for a few hours and, and enjoy yourself. So, yeah, sometimes when I come across a really, really boring part in an RPG, 
I say to myself, it's kind of like, you know, when I have like a task to do where it's like writing in particular when I'm like, okay, I know I'm a, a decent writer. I know I enjoy writing. I just got to get this story done. I got to get over the hump and then everything will be better. And it usually is. And when I persist with RPGs like that, when I kind of get to that slow spot, I usually find on the other side, okay, yeah, this is much better. I just had to kind of get through that little, you know, the little slowdown. I think the progression was back in the eight dit days, it was like, wow, you actually finished that game? That game was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> people do, like people talk about like, oh, you know, people, kids these days don't understand how, how hard things were with Nintendo and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, those games were purposely rigged against us so we couldn't rent them. <laughs> like, they were not fair in the least. There's, Battletoads there's no pride. are so cheap. Good lord. They're so cheap. Oh my god. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Ninja Gaiden, like, they, they programmed it so that if you die at the last boss, you, you go back to the first level, like, the very beginning of the last level or something ridiculous like that? You go back pretty far. Not the very yeah. beginning, but far enough. And then... Yeah. The thing is, though, as you beat a boss, it goes away. So you don't have to fight it again. That's at least the three but of them But you do have there. to run through, like, three different levels to get all the way back to the end again. Because I know Castlevania three was like if you in in the Japanese version if you die to Dracula you start at the start you know at the beginning of the staircase the iconic staircase, but in our version it would start at the beginning of his level and Dracula has three forms, <laughs> so brutal. I spent I spent an entire summer just defeating Dracula and that was fine because I was a, a kid with nothing else to do in the summertime. Don't really have time for that anymore. I think that after that, we started getting games that were intended to be beaten, and RPGs yes. were definitely one of them, because it was more like you were reading a book, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's why I liked RPGs. I mean, there were a lot of RPGs that were actually extremely difficult, usually your hardcore dungeon crawlers, but a game like Final Fantasy IV, yeah, you're intended to beat that game. Because games were, A, more of an investment, and B, there's just way less to do. <laughs> there was way less media... Mm -hmm. There was way less to watch on TV. It's like, watch TV or read a book. You didn't have smartphones or anything. You would end up playing a lot of video games. And, you know, when I was in high school, I had tons of time on my hands because I had no friends. So, Aww, okay, I had a couple. Oh, okay, I exaggerated. <laughs> I had a little bit of a social life. A couple friends. Uh, okay, I can relate to that. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, contrary to popular belief, when you hear about, about, oh, kids these days don't go outside, in our day, there were plenty of kids who didn't go outside either. Yeah, no, you know, definitely. If you, hate, if you hate the sun, you hate the sun. I despise the sun with all my heart. Back in the 60s, you think there were plenty of kids who hunkered inside their house reading comics all day? Oh, absolutely. Like, there is just no, nothing new under the sun. But I think now there's so much to do. I think... I realized recently that I was on my phone just scrolling through Twitter for like 30 minutes. That was it. I was yeah. just sitting on Twitter. I was going to say I updated my phone to iOS 13. It tells you how much time you spend on your phone. I turned that off real quick because I didn't want to know. <laughs> I would average like six hours a day on my phone yeah. alone. And that does not account for any of the other screen time I have. Of course. And you're, you know, obviously you're the boss of us. So you're probably behind the computer screen all the time too. Yeah, I am right now staring at my computer. <laughs> <laughs> staring at your tags and if i'm not doing that i'm watching i'm watching sports you know so if i'm not staring at my my smartphone then you know there are games that literally last forever that you can keep going back to like destiny or fifa or like competitive games like that and a lot of people mm -hmm. are kind of into those um or 
maybe they pick up one major game per year that's kind of like a blockbuster. But uh, my point is, is that between binging things on Netflix, sitting on your smartphone, um, and just the outrageous amount of media coming out all the time, it's natural, I think, to struggle to commit 90 hours to an RPG these days. I, I totally agree with that. I am not a huge TV watcher, so it's a little bit easier for me to commit the time to RPGs. But I know a lot of people who do love TV, and they watch a lot of it, and that gives them less time to play video games. Shh, TV. <laughs> TV. Man, fall down. <laughs> I, um, as for feeling guilty about dropping games, it's just entertainment at the end of the day. That is, it really is. That's what I'm yeah, always going to say. Right. It's entertainment. It's the same with sports. Like People like get really weird about sports. I'm just, it's just entertainment, guys. It's there to pass the time and give you a little bit of a joy. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter in your life. And if you drop the game, you drop the game. There are many times... You really do. There are many times where I've gotten to a point in the game where I'm like, this game no longer brings me joy. And that's that. Yeah. I just move It does on. not spark joy. Yeah. Because ultimately, like... What, what are you trying to prove by getting all the way to the end of this thing? Like, sometimes sometimes you have a really good experience. You're like, I'm glad I finally got through to the end of this. And sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm not having fun anymore. I'm out. Yeah, even though I do try to power through RPGs, sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes it's just not the RPG's fault. Sometimes I, I, I look and say, oh, something shiny is over there. And I just kind of forget about it. Like, as Kat said, our media is just kind of fed to us so quickly that... It's hard to focus. I struggle with traditional story-based RPGs these days because, like, I think Dragon Quest XI is one of the gold standards. And I've had plenty of people being like, I literally could not put down Dragon Quest XI. It was so engrossing. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm just like, I am motivated in games to improve my characters and get the next shiny. And I'm less motivated <laughs> to get to the end of the story, I think, with maybe the exception of, like, Witcher 3. Yeah, and I think that's a big difference, too, because I am very story-motivated. Yeah, I, I think Dragon Quest Eleven is, like, really good and everything, and I like the characters, but there are points where it feels like it's slamming the brakes on the story. Can you, is there an example that you have? Well, I mean, there are a lot of little side stories that are there not are, directly yeah. connected to the story. Whenever they would get into the actual story, I would become, like, much more interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at a portion in the game where the entire party has been separated and it's showing each vignette, a vignette for each party member in oh, turn. Oh, that's what they added to the to the um, game. And it's fine, but it's also really slow. <laughs> well, try to get through it because, yeah, I don't, that's the one problem I have with uh, Dragon Quest S is that it those vignettes just really kind of spoil the pacing of one of the most dramatic parts of the game. But and if you get past it, you, you get a, like a, a really good... You, you get into the really good part of the game. And in Persona 5, I really like the portions of the game where I'm just free to go and explore the city at my le- my leisure and uh, figure out how to spend my time and that kind of thing. And to a lesser mm-hmm. extent, the dungeons. Any of the extremely long story exposition bits, I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to get through this. Come on. <laughs> Hit A, 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 A. Like, I, I get... It's not like it's bad or anything. It's interesting, but most of the time, I'm just trying to get through that stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Let me play. Jeez. Yeah, but of course, it's Persona. It's the whole thing's about sitting around and talking. Anyway, Aki, don't feel guilty. Games are bad. Drop them all. (laughs) Games are canceled. No more games. Uh, Original Gentleman says, since you mentioned a level of customization in RPGs, do you have any that you would recommend? 
I've got Dragon Ages and Skyrim, but anything else? So I'm curious, like, so character customization. Hmm. I, mm. I actually kind of like how, so there's a difference, right? There's designing mm-hmm. your own character. Yes. And then there's just dressing them up. So in Witcher 3, you can kind of dress them up. Like you can change Geralt's hair, put a fox mask on him for no reason. You can put him in different types of armor and everything and have your customization. But then there's like Mass Effect where you can straight up build a character like to Mm -hmm. your specifications, right? I All I really ask is let me change the hair. Let me decide if I want facial hair or not. uh, And let me... uh, and let me like choose the outfit that my character is wearing, and then I'm good. Yeah, um, I'm actually right now just kind of dabbling with uh, Rune Factory Four on the Switch, mm-hmm. and it's a very cute sort of mashup of Stardew Valley slash you know Zelda. It, it's it is cute, but it's not the best looking game in history. It is basically an upscale 3DS game, and the main character I, I chose a female for a change, and she's so ugly, <laughs> and I'm like please let me change her hair please let me change her eyes please let me change her outfit and supposedly you can later but the fact that you start with this really ugly looking character is just like uh, uh i'm so disappointed i didn't choose a guy the thing that i struggle with is trying to not create a character who's boring <laughs> i always create the most boring characters because here's stan he works in accounting because in real life like i don't have tattoos i, I don't go crazy with my hair or that kind of thing but games are wish fulfillment. Let's have pink hair, you know. You should get a tattoo, Kat. Uh, I try to put tattoos on my character or give them interesting piercings or find a hairstyle that's not extremely boring. <laughs> mom hair. <laughs> like, I end up with RPG characters who have mom hair or, like, just a ponytail. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, that, I'm going to get the most elaborate. Uh, now she has a mohawk. <laughs> Her special her special attack is speak to a manager. In NBA 2K, my character had a pink mohawk. And That's in hindsight, cool. it was a little distracting. <laughs> that was to warn off predators. I got I got rid of the uh I got rid of the, the hair coloring. But sometimes I go like, for anime hair, but then it starts to look really bad after a while. Yeah, so was that like your character being all anime next to like normal looking characters? Yes. That's pretty funny. They were like, that's great. They had their crazy mohawk, <laughs> crazy blue mohawk, and they were standing next to just extremely normal looking basketball players. Yeah. I'm from Planet Anime. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Oh, I like to put a mask of some kind on my character. That's nice. I do like masks. That's actually like or a hood. one of the reasons. Hoods are cool. Hoods and masks and I'm done. I'm set. Give me a cape. Capes. Yep. Capes Long, are good. Long flowing capes. No capes. <laughs> All the capes. I want the capes. All the capes. I love capes. Eli wants to know, growing up a PC kid, favorite, my favorite games were RPGs like Baldur's Gate 2, Neverwinter Nights, Arcanum, and Fallout. By the time I got a PS2 a couple of years into the console's run, I tried to explore the vast ocean of JRPGs that I missed in my formative years. I bounced off FF7, 9, 10, and then pretty much gave up. They didn't align with my expectations for what an RPG was. Press X to win random battles, grinding, <laughs> stories without dialogue options or player agency made me throw up my hands and say, this is an RPG? Years later, <laughs> I'm trying to get into JRPGs, including listening to Acts of the Blood God every week. Thank you very Hi. much. I finished and adored Chrono Trigger, but I'm now struggling just like before to get into FF7 and 9. 
can you think of JRPGs old-school computer RPG fans should play next in order to nurture enthusiasm for the genre? Thanks a bunch. So, Eli, I think FF7 and 9, they're much more in that mold of Final Fantasy IV, which was basically an elongated manga tale. So mm, press X to win. You're not really in, supposed to be making big choices. You're just along for the ride in terms of the story. I don't know. I hate to keep bringing up Final Fantasy VI, but that is a little more um, open-ended with the second half of the game. Plus, like the party has no particular leader, so you can take whoever you want to to experience the story. Uh, but there are there are some good choices out there. Like um, Radiant Historia, I think is a, it might be exactly what you want. Why is that? Nadia? That that is a game where you you do make very important decisions regarding the story. Um, where basically there's an encroaching desert that's threatening to eat up all the greenery on Earth, and it's fated to happen, but you can stop it if you make the right choices and blah, 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 blah. And I just really enjoyed that game. Um, so it's, it is, it does have a story, of course, like any JRPG, but, uh, it is much more open ended, much more dependent on what you do. You are not there for a ride. No one will take your hand and say, okay, now we're going to go to this dungeon. You have to look out for yourself and make your own choices. When I see uh, examples like Baldur's Gate 2 and Fallout, the things that stand out to me are perhaps you like really rich characters and really interesting choices to make in your story. Uh, perhaps consider Tactics Ogre, a tactics mm-hmm. RPG that it's not Baldur's Gate and it's not your more traditional RPG but it has a lot in common with your typical JRPG, but also lots of really interesting decisions that can take you on multiple branching paths. And then once you've finished Tactics Ogre, uh, you can go and revisit those key choices. And then not only that, the story is far more dense and layered than it is than your typical JRPG story. Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, it definitely takes itself seriously in a good way. Uh, I. Don't want to be a cliche, but SMT slash Persona is a good choice as well, because SMT is a hardcore dungeon crawler in the mold of a more traditional PC RPG, whereas Persona is much more about building relationships and having interesting choices, both of which may ultimately be appealing to you. Yeah, uh, playing Persona 5 again has reminded me how many choices are in this game. and the, the good answer, the only answer, is Hot Goth Doctor. <laughs> I'm curious, do you think the Legend of Heroes series would be of appealing to them? Not the least because it's from Falcom, traditionally a Japanese PC developer. That is a, a very good question. I didn't get the impression that I was playing a game as like involved as Rain Historia or Tactics Ogre. I did feel like I was being taken from day to day. The structure is quite similar to Persona. I would call the series actually Persona mixed with Suikoden mixed with anime. It is a more story-driven game with, uh, I can't really think of any too many really consequential choices you make, at least not on a regular basis. But um, it is definitely a lot more complicated, or at least a little more involved than Final Fantasy VII or IX. So I, I definitely can't say, oh, I don't recommend it, because I, I think there is a good chance you will like it. Uh, the characters are a lot of fun. The story, as I say, is a little bit anime, but it's actually quite political and, and very interesting. So, uh, yeah, you could do worse, definitely. I, I I would recommend the Trail series to almost anyone. 
And maybe the final one would probably be Final Fantasy X-2, interestingly enough, because there are decisions to make in that game. It has a non-linear story uh, with lots of interesting missions to take on and a really dense and strong jobs variant of the job system that is fun to explore. So the systems are pretty interesting as well. And frankly, you don't even have to play Final Fantasy X to, avo- to enjoy Final F- Fantasy X-2 because Final Fantasy X's story is stupid. <laughs> Cat with the hot Final Fantasy X take again. And Final Fantasy X-2 uh, is a very separate story, and you can enjoy it at your leisure. And it doesn't, I mean, yeah, it connects to Final Fantasy X, but it stands alone, in my opinion. It's uh, the Charlie's Angels, like, kind of lesbian road trip thing, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that sounds that sounds really cool. I've had a lot of Final Fantasy X stands in my Twitter feed lately. Oh, why would that be? I can't imagine. Well, it's because uh, there was that, what was it, NHK, maybe, survey where oh, people were asked yes. to rank all of their favorites. And and 10 came out on top. 10 was on the top, and Final Fantasy VII was second, which, surprise, surprise, I think people were mad that the, Ma- the the Matsuno games were toward the bottom. Like They were really down there, and that's really a shame. Um I was happy to see 14, I think, was around 5, and t- actually 6 did really well. 6 was something like 3, and I was really surprised. Final Fantasy X is on the Switch, right? Yes, uh, all the Final Fantasy, all the like, kind of modern ones are. Maybe I'll pick that one up soon. I do want it to have a speed-up <laughs> function because, ugh, man, that game's yes. so slow. I, I have to say that is the best damn thing Square has ever added to its remakes is that speed up function because holy moly I would not have finished 9 if not for that. It just goes to show what kind of horrible attention span we have. It really does. We're, we're pretty bad, Kat. Um, I, my attention span has deteriorated to like a mouse. <laughs> Alright, that is all of our questions for today. Thank you to everybody who submitted. If you want to submit a question for the mailbag, we tend to collect them. Just send them in any time. Send it one to cat.bailey at usgamer.net. That's K-A-T dot B-A-I-L-E-Y at usgamer.net. Or DM me on Twitter and your question may be read on the show. Um, before we go on, yeah, here's an interesting thing. I got a DM from Infinity Tone who did a metal cover of a thoughtful strategy from Valkyrie Profile 2. And in honor of the 20th anniversary of the PlayStation 2, we're going to go out on that. Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. My DMs are open. Subscribe to our newsletter. It comes out every Wednesday. There's tons of great stuff on U.S. Gamer this week. Oh my gosh, I checked out uh, Bleeding Edge with Ninja Theory, and we talked a lot about rare barbecues with rare and things like that. Ooh, delicious. Uh, Katie profiled Adam Boys, who says he doesn't miss the console wars, and lots of other interesting things as well. I also made the case for the PlayStation 2 being the greatest console ever. You sure did. Sure did. And uh, it's not just because of RPGs, Nadia, though it does help. Yeah, no, it was a very, it's not my favorite console, but I, I will not stand here and argue and say, oh, it is not the best console, because I totally understand where that mentality comes from. It's a very, if nothing else, it really helped me get into the idea that, okay, games are 3D now, because at least 3D games looked so much better on the PlayStation 2. And we also have interviews with Troy Baker, Hideki Kamiya, Natsushi Inaba, 
and the creators of the Black Mesa mod. Oh my god, we're so busy this week. So go to all packs. Go check out all that wonderful stuff over on US Gamer. Okay, Nadia, thanks for joining me as always. And of course, to you, our listeners, thanks for joining us as well. We'll be back next week as always. But until then, for Nadia and myself, happy adventuring. <laughs>